On the bench room on Madiba's radio. It is episode 16. I'm your host, Gorgs. Today we have a wide range of interviews and chats from Cricket South Africa to SA Rugby. First, we go straight to a press conference which was held in on Thursday following the acting president of CSA, Rian Richards, decision to not go ahead with announcing an, an interim board after the entire board resigned in October. Followed by a chat with CSA convener of selectors at Victim Pitsang after the break. So do listen in and stay tuned on Madiba's radio, the best youth station in the Bay. Hi, I'm Figile Mbalula, commonly known as Razmatas Mbawizi Fligile on Flick. You are listening to Madiba's radio. Keep rocking the Metro Nana. Let's go. You're listening to Madiba's radio, opening up the waves for you to be heard. Following a meeting between Cricket South Africa's Members Council, the proposed interim board of Cricket South Africa, and the Ministry of Sports, Arts and Culture on Sunday the 8th of November 2020, and subsequent engagements with the interim board, the Members Council has written to the Minister Natin Tetwa to raise materials concerns on unresolved matters. After extensive consultation between the parties mentioned, the Members' Council has resolved to not appoint the interim board. The Members' Council remains deeply committed to resolving the issues that have surfaced within CSA and will take the necessary steps to ensure that the concerns which Minister Ntetwa and Saskov had previously raised are addressed efficiently and professionally. Following a series of published events, the Members' Council agreed to work with the Ministry of Sport, as well as SASCOC and other stakeholders in addressing the concerns that have been raised regarding CSA. The, mem- <clears throat> the Members' Council embarked on a process last month to facilitate the resignation of the then incumbent board members of CSA. With intention of appointing an interim board that will work collaboratively with all stakeholders. The main objective of the new interim board was to work closely with the Members' Council 
and the CSA executive to achieve the necessary change within CSA and take cricket forward until a new board is elected at the general meeting. In accordance with the rights afforded to the Members' Council by CSA's Memorandum of Incorporation, certain individuals remain on the board of CSA until the formal appointment of an interim board. The Members' Council worked with Minister Intetua, the Department of Sport and SASCOS team to facilitate the appointment of the appropriate interim board that would have the necessary collective skills, professionalism and expertise to take its fiduciary duties seriously and to comply with the legal duties and obligations placed upon them at all times. To that end, the Members' Council outlined a specific proposal about the structure of the board and certain preconditions attached to the appointment in a letter to, minister, to the Minister dated 27th October 2020. In an update by Minister Intetua, published on the 28th of October 2020, the Minister confirmed the Members' Council views that our engagement was constructive and he expressed his appreciation for our leadership. In a subsequent announcement the following day, the Minister further stated that the interim board would be a, a product of consultative process involving the Department of the Members' Council and SACA. In that announcement, Minister Ntetwa confirmed that the interim board would report to the Members' Council and describe the necessary transitional steps to nurse cricket back to its place of pride, both locally and internationally. In the interim board announcement address, Minister Ntetwa again referred to a collaborative path and confirmed that the interim board would be reporting to the Members' Council. The Minister also specifically referenced to certain matters that the Interim Board would deal with and the Members' Council is aligned with all of these. I refer to the statements above as at the stage the Members' Council, Minister Intetua and the Department appear to be aligned. For the, mem for the Members' Council, the logic step would have been to proceed to appoint the Interim Board to, as nominated to the Board of Directors of CSA in terms of the MOI of the, of the organization. Directors of a company such as CSA can only appoint it in terms of the MOI and following that appointment will owe fiduciary duties to that company. The MOI governs the relationship between the board and its members and the role of members council and the board. The members council met after announcement of the proposed interim board and agreed to engage constructively with the proposed chairman of the interim board on an apparent conflict of interest relating to a proposed member of the interim board. It was, excuse me, it was intended that once the conflict of interest was resolved to the satisfactory of the members council, a meeting would be convened in order to formally appoint the proposed interim board as directors of CSA in accordance with the MOI as described above. The Members' Council and CS engage constructively with members of the interim board to provide information and to facilitate matters moving forward, despite the fact that the interim board, interim board had not been appointed as directors of CSA, and thus no legal standing in relation to the company. 
in a meeting on Thursday, the 5th of November, 2020, between the Members Council and the Interim Board, the Chairman of the Interim Board was adamant that the appointment of the Interim Board would be unqualified and failing which the Interim Board would no further, would no, would no further participate in the meeting. Following the banners of the meeting, the Interim Board, the Members Council sent a letter to the Minister of Sport to inform him of the apparent impasse between the Members Council and the Interim Board. This culminated in a meeting held this past Sunday that the minister had included the minister and his team. These engagements and the meetings held on Sunday have raised serious issues where it is clear to the members council that there is no longer collaboration or alignment between the various parties. And the relationship is not what the members council anticipated. In this regard, the position taken by the Minister Tetra, members of his department, and the Chairman of the Interboard during the meeting is contrary to, to the arrangement agreed upon by the parties. Yes, said, the issue is as follows. The potential conflict of interest regarding Mr. Lowe has not been resolved to the satisfaction of the Members' Council and the Members' Council communicated this to the Interim Board as well as the Minister of Sport that is not prepared to appoint Mr. Logart to the Board of CSA in terms of the MI until it is satisfactorily resolved. In response, the Chairman of the Interim Board and Ministry insisted that the composition of the Interim Board is not subject to change or further discussion. It appears from a statement made at the meeting on Sunday that the Board of Directors will not be appointed in terms of the MI, but will have been appointed by the minister seemingly in a manner that circumvents the MOI. In the interim board, members are appointed in the interim board. If the interim board members are appointed to the board of CSA through alternative means, we will all, we will all and will hold duties to other parties outside the framework of the company law and that governs CSA. The members council requests that it be revised basis of such appointment. Despite the prior statements that are referenced, the role of the interboard is being accountable to the Members' Council, appears to be ignored, and the legal basis which this relationship is established, being the MOI and the company law, being disregarded. It would appear that the proposed interim board would be vested, would be vested with unfettered mandate to make decisions relating to the affairs of cricket with other members' council's input and guidance. In engagement with the proposed interboard, the relationship between the members' council and interboard has, has been severely undermined, and the proposed interim chair and other members have been dismissive, indifferent, and highly unprofessional, which is not conducive to the development of a sound working relationship between the parties, as described in the published statements and established by the legal framework in which the parties should operate. The executive of CFA have also been subjected to behavior that is contemptuous of the anticipated relationship. Further, the, inter, inter, the interim board has pro proceeded to make media statements and pronouncements of, of matters of critical 
to CSA, and in particular the Members' Council, not only in bridging CSA media policy, but without consultation with the media, with the Members' Council. As the Members' Council of CSA, we are responsible to ensure the compliance with legal and corporate governance requirements in the administration of cricket and the organization. We also have a responsibility to the International Cricket Councils in terms of, the, of their articles of association. We also have responsibility to the International Cricket Council. When we raise our bona fide concerns in the regard at this meeting on Sunday, we were accused of being unfairly, which we view as unfairly, of being obstructionist without the substance of these concerns having been addressed. Following the circumstances outlined, the Members' Council is not prepared to appoint members of the proposed interboard of directors as directors of CSA in terms of the MI. However, the Members' Council will continue to work with the Department of Sport, the Minister, SASCOC, on a collaborative basis to address and correct the ills of the past. The basis of this relation between the parties is clearly prescribed by law and requires mutual respects by all parties in complying with the obligation. Following the above, the proposed interboard has thus, as has therefore been requested not to continue representing themselves as representatives of CSA, as they have no such authority. And it's our expectation that they will not continue to do so. Because South Africa's Members' Council has no interest in appointing the proposed interim board. Um, Mr. Richards, uh, we understand that under, uh, the National Sport and Recreation Act 110 of, of 1999 clearly gives full power to the minister to make, make um, regulations. We also understand that the ICC is strictly against government intervention. Firstly, won't this jeopardize the future of S, uh, CSA international events? And then lastly, have you been in contact with ICC regarding government intervention matter. Thank you. Right, thank you, Nathan. Um, you are correct that there is such a regulation. And I want to categorically state this, that up to this point, this has been a collaborative uh, relationship to facilitate the improvement of Cricket South Africa. We have had, prior to us entering into uh, discussions with the minister, I had briefed the ICC. Um, so at that stage, I don't think anybody can view this as ministerial intervention. But this is a collaboration between all the parties to ensure the best will of cricket South Africa. So I hope that answers your question, uh, Nathan. Yes, thank you. All right, we are back on the bench woman with Gorgs. We are joined by Victor Pitsang, the newly appointed convener of selectors of the Protests. Welcome to Madiba's Radio, Vic. Thanks for having me, Gorgs. How are you? No, I'm always well. I'm always well. Um, firstly, congratulations on your appointment. Uh, let's get straight to it. Uh, when you were first appointed as the convener of selectors, what responsibilities were there provided by CSA? A tough question. <laughs> Look, the, the responsibility comes with... Uh, first of all, thank you. Um, the responsibilities as convener of selectors is basically to oversee the whole selection process in the system. 
right? Um, so how does, how does that work? Um, you oversee selection at the project level uh, for the main side. And then what happens also is I oversee the process with uh, the woman's protea side. Um, I don't necessarily have to be convener of that side because I think they've done a wonderful job in, in how, how the selection has worked. Um, if you look at whether the women's side um, have been in the last few years, um, I mean, they lost out in, they lost in the semifinals of, of, of the World Cup the, the other day. Um, so that selection will still remain. But what's important though, with the new role as convener, is to make sure that we we have a clearer understanding of, uh, of the philosophies, first of all, of both coaches and also the structure as a whole, you know, overseeing, making sure that the whole pipeline works. So with the men's side, um, we have the Protea side, we have the SAA side, and then we have the academy and the emerging group, and then the SA and the 19 side. That's part of the one pipeline. And then with the women's side, uh, we have the Proteus woman with the emerging side and the academy side slash. And then also um, there is now a new under 19 structure, which means that the ladies will be playing an under 19 World Cup. Mm. Um, we don't have the date yet, but I mean, that, that, that's something in the future. But we need to make sure that they, not get, they don't get ready by the time they, they just, okay, this is the World Cup. Uh, this is what's going to happen. We need to make sure that there's a structure in place to equip these cricketers to make sure that they are ready um, for that under 19 World Cup. That's very interesting. Um, now, we know the government, or let me say, Natin Teto gave the go-ahead in, in hosting the English later this month. Um, how is the current relationship between the CSA and the government, um, taking into account the Nicholson report uh, and the CSA resignation of, of the board members? Oh, God, I mean, that's a difficult question. Um, and I mean, for, it's, I, I guess probably not the right person to ask that question because, I mean, that's, that's, that's something that I, I don't deal with uh, regarding um, governance and, and board level and all of that. You know, my focus is primarily just to focus on what happens in the cricketing field. I think we are very grateful. And, and, and when once the minister gave the go ahead about England coming through, I think everybody and everybody in the country are looking forward to that because you're going to have cricket for the first time, international cricket after the pandemic, you know. So so when it comes to board level, um, you know, it's difficult to give you an answer because I've not really, I mean, all that I've read is what's been in the media. But other than that, I've absolutely no idea of, of all of that. Yes. Now, speaking about the government, actually, obviously, the convener of selectors of all the stars you mentioned um, previously. Now, is there, is for you, will there be a government intervention when you obviously selecting the sides? Because obviously that's all what we, what has been happening in the past. What what's your take on that? Yeah, I, not that I know of. Eh? I, I don't think there's there's been inter interference regarding that. I think what needs to happen is, I mean, we 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 need to make sure that we, you know, we. We pick the best team that will represent South Africa, and, and once we do that, I think we would have done our job. I think generally, what we also need to look at is is, is our structure. You know, uh, um, I, I look we we in different phases of, of our different formats as a team, um, and I think we need to look at that and we need to see where we're going. And and obviously, that goes hand in hand with the philosophy and style of play from from both coaches. And, and I always prefer my job as both coaches when I talk about the Proteus men in my voucher 
and also the protest woman in Hilton Marine, which uh, which I think once we understand the philosophy and style of play there, the talent identification will become a little bit easier. In a sense that, do those players that we identify suit the style of play for the coaches? If not, how is it that we can do with the help of the high performance and obviously the domestic system? How can we get that and how can we get those players ready that when the call-up does come, that they are ready to go and ready to fire? Different pressures though when you play international cricket because, um, you know, you can there, there will be opportunities provided to play emerging tours and SCA tours. Mm. But, you know, I mean, international cricket, you play in front of millions and even billions of people. And that on its own comes with, their own, comes with its own pressures. Mm. Um, so, um, how important um, will the communication be between uh, be between yourself and the coaching staff, uh, comprising of Mark Boucher, Enoch Kumkwe, and including Edward Kosa as the high performance manager in selecting the protest side? Look, I think the conversation there is. Um, I think first of all, I need to have a. I mean, we need to have a proper relationship with the coach. Yeah. Uh, from from both sides, um, because uh, as I said, once again, it's about the style of play, um, the talent identification, and to make sure that the next crop of players are ready to to be called up. But I mean, but that's a process on its own, and not only that. Once we understand the style, and I still go back to style of play, uh, we need to also have a, have a, a communication line uh, with our domestic coaches because yes. they are the feeder system. You know, and once they understand what the philosophy and style of play is, um, that's where the system also comes. Uh, because uh, you know that we need to we need to build um, that relationship. I'm not saying there is no relationship. I want to believe there is the relationship, but uh, we probably need to just nullify it a little bit more uh, by making sure that um, you know they also have a clearer understanding of where the national coaches are and what is needed for them to, 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 to perform and become number one in the world again. Now, um, you obviously um, appointed as a convener of selectors um, beginning of November. Um, I believe you met with the director of, of cricket, um, Grace Smith, after your appointment. Um, at your first meeting with him, can you share what, what was discussed um, between you two? Look, I mean, the meeting was just not with the convener of selectors. Um, the convener of selectors was just not with Graham Smith. The meeting was primarily with uh, with everybody else. Um, that's important in the high performance. So um, you mentioned um, Edward Cosa was Eddie was there. Yes. Um, all the high performance coaches was there. The high performance manager was there. The bowling lead was there, and that was primarily to discuss with the national coach um, the philosophy that he has. Um, the roles that that we need uh, going forward, and and what we need to, what kind of players we needed to identify, and and just to just to say, you know, what is expected, you know, uh, to to making sure that uh, we get back onto onto that style of play, you know, and and that was basically the meeting, just to catch up, and obviously just to to share ideas on on how uh, we we are going to work as a team. Okay. Um, um, we didn't have much action uh, during the lockdown period, um, only the one ex exhibition game and a few players playing in the IPL, uh, which was concluded earlier this week. 
Now, on what grounds were you as selection panel able to pick, pick a side against the English, uh, which has played international ODI and T20 fixtures? Look, um, you always go back on, 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 on the reference points, isn't it? Um, South Africa, what we know is they beat Australia in a one-day series. Um, and also the T20 series that we played against England and, and, and in India. And I think um, if you look at the number of games that were played, not a lot of number of games, I mean, I think about eight, ten games that were played with huge squads, 15-man squads, where guys have got like two or three games under their belt for South Africa, especially if you look at the team. The one-day side is a very young side. Um, the T20 side is a, time that, a team that's sort of preparing for their T20 World Cup. Um, I think that was the basis that we picked that we picked from. And if you also understand that, um, and I know the question would be, how is it, how do you then prepare? Because domestically, you're playing four-day cricket and not one-day cricket. And I think the selection was primarily based on being consistent in selection and backing the same guys that played against Australia and also England. And hence, we see the squad that we have. It's a big squad. It's a squad of 24 players. But what that also helps and how that assists us is the fact that they'll have inter-squad games um, just before that series. So they'll play um, a over game and T20, two T20 games where they'll probably sharpen on those, on those one-day skills. There has been some sort of cricket for most of those cricketers uh, being for their cricket, even though um, it's, it's not the same. Uh, it's a different kind of skill set, but guys have been hitting balls, guys have spent some time in the middle, and that's a big plus for us now. So it's just about getting together and making sure that those one-day skills are sharpened and, uh, you know, and do well against England because they're quality side. They're world, um, they've won the World Cup. They play a brand that puts the opposition under pressure and what a wonderful test that will be for our players. Yeah, so obviously in the latest squad that you uh, uh, announced, um, there are notable exclusions with the likes of Imran Tahrir and Chris Morris. Um, any comments on that? Uh, have you communicate, communicated with the players um, on the reasonings why they perhaps didn't make this at the side? Look, I mean, as I said, uh, um, the squad that we picked were primarily based on the squads that played against um, Australia and also against England. Um, there will definitely be more conversations with the likes of Chris Morris and the like of, uh, of Imran Tahir. But for now, we probably felt that uh, we were to be consistent in selection and that's why we've gone that route. Um, that squad have, the squad has a lot of options, a lot, as, as a, a, all our bases are covered for now. Uh, but um, it's still not saying that uh, those guys are, are definitely out of the plans. But I think it's, it's, we're sort of giving other guys opportunities for now and see what they can do under, under the pressures that we get. Um, we need to be consistent. Now, in, in um, talking lastly about the topic of, of uh, selection, um, and our, in everyone's lips, um, A.B. De Villiers, we understand he's currently retired. Although he has entered, he is available for selection. Um, obviously, have you been in contact with him? Um, obviously, not for now, but obviously for in future, in terms of selection. It's, it's, uh, I, I like the fact how you started the, the question. Is um, we know that he is uh, retired, yes. right? And, and and I think for me, it will be very unfair for me just to say, okay, AB is available. I think AB. 
um, has made his decision a while back. And I think it's, it's, it's fair for me to be to to respect that decision. You know, he had his reasons why he retired from international cricket. Um, he's a wonderful bowler. He's a wonderful batsman. He's a world-class batsman. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's still, he's still retired. And I think we need to respect all of that. And I guess once he changes his mind, it's a different conversation, Gogs, that we will have. But at the moment, as far as, as, far as I'm concerned, um, A.B. Villiers is retired from international cricket. Yes. Um, early in the year, I had a chat with, uh, then, with the then newly appointed CSA High Performance Manager, Edward Causa, and he reiterated that women's cricket was of, of high importance in the future. Now, as an as a employee of, of, of CSA, what process are in place in order for the women's cricket to, be, to become domestically and internationally become more competitive? Okay, you'll need to re- you need to ask me that again, please. And sorry, um, the, the line was slightly bad. What was the question again? Um, no, obviously, I had a chat with with um, with um, the with Edward Cause, the high performance uh, manager, CSA high performance manager, and he re- he reiterated reiterated that women's cricket was of high importance in the future. Now, yourself as a, as an employee of CSA, what processes are there in place in order for women's cricket to, to become um, more domestically and internationally become more competitive? Look, I think I think already there's a, there's a, there's a structure in place. Um, the, the 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 team will probably will be playing um, in in a tournament in December. Um, look, I think the structures have been good. The fact that they they produce cricketers, but we know the resources have been very limited for for women. And I think. Um, if you just look at the structure on its whole on its own, uh, where where the male side of things, there's a semi-pro side of, of cricket, you know, and mm. I think that that's something that we probably need to look at. That uh, the problem is is, is is retaining cricketers. I think that's the issue, especially at, at, at the, with, with the ladies. It's the fact that once ladies get to a certain age, and if you think about, there's only 15 contracts available for women's cricket and that's at international cricket so we need to find a structure that can retain cricketers and by making sure that uh, you know there's some sort of uh, remuneration for the cricketers so that they can stay longer in our system so that we have a bigger base to to to, to select from but unfortunately retaining cricketers for those reasons has been an issue and i think that's the starting point um, the other part of it though is that uh, you know i know for a fact that the provincial sides have, have done have done well, and there's different of the different tournaments that are being played to try and play strength for the strength. Which uh, which which now we've gone back and uh, and the tournament I was talking about in in Cape Town has 48 cricketers that have been identified by the selectors that will play in different teams. It started a year ago. Um, so that's that's one um, element of, 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 of the process now. But um, as I said, I think the most important thing is to retain cricketers. And if we can have a, a structure like that, a semi-pro structure where, where players can be remunerated, I think already that will be a big plus for for the for the for the women's game. Yeah. Now let's add on to to the let's add on to the the, the topic of about women women's cricket now. In order for women's cricket to, to be on the same sort of level with, with the men, now in your own opinion, what what needs to be needs to happen? Well, in terms of sponsorship and 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 the fan following, what what do you think should happen? Because I mean, 
I mean, we've been having uh, women's cricket for quite some time now, and it's high time that women's cricket become more recognisable and players get get paid um, similar to to how much uh, the men get pay, paid as well. Look, I think the starting point. Um, I think the women's side have, have, have now got got the support, um, and and because of how they've performed, um, not not the last. Not the last World Cup, but I mean everybody's World Cup that we we know of. What that World Cup that the the women's side lost in that semi final against England, and because of that, I mean they have the exposure, much needed exposure that they needed actually prior to that also. But uh, you know, I, I think we we still just need to support the game, and I think uh, you know the, the women's game is is going into the right direction, and um, and and as I said, once we saw the those structures, I think uh, we'll be heading in the right direction in where the women's game will be much more exposed uh, to where they are at the moment. Yeah. Now lastly Vic, uh, you've made it your business to know the ins and outs of cricket uh, within South Africa from KFC mini cricket to the senior men's and women's teams. What personal goals and, ob and objectives do you set uh, out for yourself in order for South African cricket and not only for it to be a competitive sport but an inclusive one as well? Look, I, I think that um, obviously there's goals, <clears throat> there's goals that one needs to set for themselves. But I still believe that uh, the whole process, um, the whole inclusivity and everything is based on proper communication with everybody within the system. And once everybody understands the roles and clarity of certain things in the system, I think that's the starting point. And teamwork for me is crucial, you know, for South Africa to be dominant, for South Africa to dominate South, uh, world cricket, we need every single body that's part of cricket to understand all of the, the inclusivity of all of that. And I think once we work as a team, and I think that's one thing that I would like to see is, is us working as a team and making sure that at the end of the day, cricket is, uh, is, is a national sport, you know, and, uh, and everybody will be included into it and uh, we make it. And, 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 and once we do that, I'm sure that uh, we'll be heading in the right direction. All right. Uh, I think that's all the time we have for. I mean, uh, we did this, say it was going to be 20 minutes. Um, so uh, thanks, Vic, uh, for joining us on the 16th episode of The Benchroom with Gorgs on Madiba's radio. Uh, we hope and trust that you will be doing amazing things as a newly appointed convener of selectors. Thanks, God. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much. Cheers. You know, there are times where before you say something, you gotta think hard and deep because there's a greater possibility, it is a reflection of either the psyche, the mentality, the character in the person, or it reflects a bit of background. And for fear of exposing where you come from, you think twice and consider perspective. In your face. In the, in the olden days when Jesus Christ went on through his lessons, he was never specific in his references. He would always use symbols. Because whenever a symbol is used in a process where something has to be rectified, none of us get consumed. If I were to refer to somebody who would I would put it like that because I am. But if I were not, then I'd put it in a way that has respect in what I'm referring to. I hope you understand. I don't.
So before the break, we had a chat with the CSA convener of selectors, Victor Pitsang, and acting president of the CSA, Rian Richards. After the break, we carry on with part four of the Unstoppable Women's Rugby Initiative and hear what Taylor Kinsey and Aceza Hela have to say about themselves and the rise of women's rugby in SA. from the most hopeless situation in the history of Springbok rugby. Well, he was my best player for my day. <laughs> no, I... He, he was playing, I think, obviously, you know, he was playing for South Africa. Um, I think if you talk to him, he, I don't know, do you know the story about the jerseys? Of, uh, um, on the back of your number, you had to have uh, family members, you know, you can give him photos of family members. He only had photos of himself. <laughs> because he didn't have anybody else. And they say, why are you doing this? And he says, he's got nobody, his brother died. You know, his mom died there, his father, he doesn't have a photo. So, he doesn't play for one thing, he's just got massive heart, massive heart. So we are joined by Taylor Kinsey, a Springbok Women's Scrum Off. Taylor, welcome on the bench room with Gorgs on Madiba's radio. Thanks, Gorgs. It's really good to be here. Right. Uh, firstly, Taylor, can you share a bit about yourself uh, for all the listeners out there? Okay. Um, I'm from Durban, from a town called Hillcrest. Um, I'm 27 years old. Um, I've been in the Springbok setup since 2013. Um, having started at under 20 level and then um, making the senior team in the same year. Um, yeah, and I'm currently working at Golf Sports Academy, um, teaching kids PE, etc., um, private lessons to do with any kind of sports. Um, and yeah, that's me. Well, that's interesting. Um, um, so basically, is, is rugby for you a, a, a part time thing or, or what? Yeah, so right now in the Springbok setup, um, yeah. it's part-time. Obviously, a lot of us have our own jobs mm. um, away from rugby. Um, but obviously, in the future, we hope that would change. I mean, yes. um, the more sponsorships that come on board, obviously now we don't have sponsorships. So the more sponsorships that come on board um, to give us um, a feasible 
um, chance. Yeah. Um, we'll see players in the future end, end up getting full-time contracts, hopefully. So ultimately, that's our future goal. All right. Uh, so uh, you announced that as uh, the seventh member, if I'm not mistaken, of the seventh member of the Unstoppables initiative. For all those who are, un- who are unfamiliar with the initiative, do you mind sharing a, um, a bit about the, the initiative that uh, you guys have started with um, World Rugby? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so the Spring of Women's Unstoppable is South Africa's version of the World Rugby program. Um, we just call it the Unstoppables, aimed yeah. to showcase women's rugby and attract new fans. Um, the Springbok women's coaches selected 10 players who have made their mark in the game and who through their achievements can inspire the youth. Um, like obviously with these players, we all come from different backgrounds. Yeah. Some who have struggled and laugh. And basically the Unstoppables show is to show that everything is possible if you overcome what you've gone through. Mm, that's a very uh, interesting to 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 hear. Um, from my understanding, you've been in a rugby environment for since you were seven, eight. Um, where did the love for rugby start for you? Um, I mean, I, I know for I think you were with you started with your brother, brother's uh, um, rugby club. Yeah. Um, okay. So basically, behind that, I used to go with my brothers um, every Friday night to their club rugby um, trainings, yeah. and my dad at the time was their coach. So I used to get so bored on the sideline and he was like, okay, just come try out. So like, yeah, so I played in my brother's teams until I was about under nine and then obviously had to stop because boys were growing. Yeah. Um, so after that, I, um, I stopped rugby and I took up hockey and soccer. And then in grade 10, I started touch rugby and at an interprovincial tournament, um, I got asked to try out contact rugby. So I had no idea rugby was even a thing. So I was like, yeah, sure, because obviously I played it when I was younger. And yeah, and then after that, I fell in love with it. And yeah, rugby took off quite quickly for me after that. Um, yes, as you said, um, um, after, high, after high school, obviously you, you um, moved on with the, the national side. Um, next to you, obviously, you'll be participating in the second World Cup. The first one you participated in, you were the youngest member in the side, only 20 yeah. years old. Um, how yeah. how was the experience for you uh, participating in the World Cup and representing the country? Uh, okay, so obviously I started at under 20 level. So I had no idea that I would even be selected for the senior team so quickly. Um, I played under 20s 2013 and I got a call up that same year for um, the, the Rugby World Cup qualification. Um, then like just being fortunate enough and I trained really hard. I, I went to the World Cup in 2014. Um, having been the youngest, it was a good experience for me. Um, I learned a lot of things there. Um, obviously looking at players of my senior and yeah and then from then um, I really hope to go to another one because obviously being so young then um, like I lacked a few things like leadership qualities I like I was quite reserved Um, obviously going to the next one next year is quite exciting because now I'm a a senior member in the team having been there I know what to expect I can help my players I can push them Mm. obviously because yeah, so that experience was really good for me. Yeah, so um, um, a lot of my guests, obviously, before you um, have a background in academic um, in academics, are you perhaps studying at yeah. the moment or you see yourself uh, studying in the future? Um, okay, so I'm not studying at the moment. I'm currently working full-time. Okay. Um, straight after school, 
I obviously got into the setup very quickly. So I focused a lot on rugby and I chose to work full time. Um, also, straight after the World Cup, I lived in the UK for two years playing um, Premiership rugby there. So that took a lot, up a lot of my time. Um, obviously, yes, I do plan to study, hopefully next year, maybe sports science or sports journalism. So right. that is something I'm looking into. Now, that's very interesting. Um, obviously, women's rugby is still an amateur sport. And now, in your own opinion, how, how, can, um, how can the rugby, women's rugby in, in the country be, be taken to the next level and becoming professional, in, in your own opinion? Okay, so basically, like I said before, um, our team does not have a sponsorship, no sponsorship at all. So the more companies that buy in, the more sponsorships we get, the more um, games we play. Obviously, we we aren't playing the full year like like our main counterparts. So obviously, if we can sell out crowds, we get sponsorship, we play more test matches. Mm. That will bring in bring in money for us in order to contract players for the future. Uh, yeah, so um, now we know that rugby is not is not forever, you know. I mean, we see a lot of uh, professional athletes or rugby players uh, stop at the age of 35, um, 40 years old for in, in Victor yeah. Matfield's sake. But um, after rugby, where do you see yourself? I see myself hopefully still involved with rugby. I mean, I, I would really like to coach my club team. Um, which is college rovers i really look to do that like i don't want to go away from rugby yeah. so maybe doing something with the sharks hopefully be involved there i mean i'm already in the um coaching setup like an academy thing at the sharks okay um so hopefully take up something to do with rugby after i finish oh that's 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 very nice obviously you know where you're going as well um after rugby now in the last segment of of, of the show i'd like to play uh, quick five questions with my guests um, so, are you ready? It's very, very uh, on, this, on the soft side. So, are you ready? Yeah, okay, cool. Let's go. Okay. So, uh, what's your favorite food? Pizza. Main interests outside of rugby? The beach. Uh, who are your role models and why? Uh, my parents, because they gave everything up for me to be where I am. Uh, biggest sporting achievement outside of rugby? Oh, is it in hockey? Uh, um, biggest uh, sporting achievement in rugby? World Cup. Okay, and then last question. What makes you unstoppable? Uh, what makes me unstoppable is I never give up. I have good leadership qualities. Um, I care about my team a lot. And I'm always striving to be the best person I can be. Well, that's uh, good to know. Uh, so, obviously, that's all the time we have for um, on this segment of today's show. Um, thanks, Taylor, for, for, for giving up your time and, and effort. I know you guys are pretty busy down in Stellenbosch uh, at, the, at the camp there. Um, so good luck as well um, for next year's uh, Rugby World Cup for you guys. Cool, Gogs. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, anytime. Thanks. Thanks. We are joined by Aceza Hela on the 15th episode of the Ben Trauma on Madiba's radio. Um, Aceza, um, how are you doing? I'm good, good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Aceza, um, for all those who don't know you are, can you share a bit about yourself? 
Um, okay. Um, my name is Asazaele. Mm. I'm from the Eastern Cape. I was born in Eastern Cape. Um, studied in Eastern Cape, but currently moved to Armanas um, this early this year. Mm. So yeah, I'm based in Armanas. Okay. Um, I, from my understanding, I believe you have a, quite an interesting story on in how you started playing rugby. Uh, can you share um, your rugby journey for the listeners? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, I was um, working playing netball at the same time, um, 2013, and then my schedule and my netball clashes. Then I couldn't go to netball anymore, mm. so I went for a run to a Denkaka Stadium in, in Sweden. Mm. So that's where I started my rugby. My other coach called me and said I'm a strong rugby and I've never watched rugby like in my whole life. I always focused on netball and all of it. And then I started and then I joined. And then since then, I never looked back. Now, that's a very interesting story. Um, are you currently enjoying it? I mean, obviously, you, you, it was a change of sport for you. Uh, is it enjoyable so far for you, uh, rugby? I love it. <laughs> I can yeah. enjoy it. I love it. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> it's um, my life, like literally my life. No, that's that's excellent to hear. Um, so, currently, are you studying or or not? Yeah, yeah. I'm currently studying and working as well. I'm mm. doing my degree in um, education mm. through UNISA. Mm. So, yeah. So obviously, you work, you study, and you play rugby as well for the for the women's swimmer women's side. Now, how do we? How do you juggle the time of of fitting your academic commitments and work and sports and putting them all together? I mean, how do you do it? Um, um, it um goes it goes like with balance. Mm. You know what to do at mm. what time, and um, you need to balance your styles so that it it's your priority. So you need to balance them mm. so that you can meet them like on point. Mm. So I always make sure I'm. Good with my studies i'm working and then i have to go to gym i go to gym yeah now, it's uh, not a problem any um right at the moment yeah now sticking on the topic of of, of uh, studying and education in your own opinion how how important is, is having a plan b um as you mentioned obviously you're currently studying how important is is it to have a plan b um let's say for example get injured um so what for you, in your yeah. own opinion, what, uh, what do you um, um, book stays life after rugby, mm. so you must always have a plan B. So when I'm done with my rugby career and all that, I I, I must know what to do next. Mm. So I can't like hang on rugby for my whole life. I have to have um something in hand, and I must know what I want in life. Okay, so no, if you know you've got education, and then your um plan a doesn't work and then yeah. you know you have got plan b you can mm. be a teacher you can like start your own crash or anything yeah now we, it's we, very important yeah now now we all know that that um that rugby has an expiry date now life after rugby uh, where do you see yourself because obviously you said you mentioned you're studying as well and you're working so where do you see yourself in which industry do, do you see yourself a teacher perhaps uh, or what Yes, of course, teacher. I love rugby, no offense, but <laughs> I love kids and mm. I would love to be a teacher, like um, a professional teacher will teach wherever, but I would love to teach. 
Yeah, now um, another question I actually wanted to ask you. Um, you obviously ngwaseke is wite. Um, now yes. how how important is it that, um, is is um, social development uh, in terms of of uh, the under under underdeveloped um, ta- for townships? Um, how important do you think um, is is development in in society? How important do you think that is? It is very important, very important. I can say because it helps a lot of children who are growing up. Mm. to not like go take a wrong direction or anything sports um like makes you busy like mm. you don't think of the other stuff or anything you just focus on one thing at school and you know you have to after school you have to go to um to practice so um they still developing and there's more clubs coming in young kids are coming in so it's it's, it's a good thing it's mm. a good thing so that the kids can stay away from drugs and you know all sorts of wrong things mm. now, now but it's your, getting there it's not there yet but it's yes. getting there yeah as you mentioned it's it, it is getting there now in in which ways can the government or, or or um stakeholders can they help even more in in, in developing um sports in 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 uh, underprivileged uh, communities i think we need more sponsors mm. and um like market more 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 um women's rugby uh, or whatsoever like on board and all that so that we can get sponsors and then it can develop more mm. no that's that's excellent uh, to you and um, now the last part of today's show i like to play quick fire questions with the guests um it's very light-hearted um so it's very chilled so are you ready for the quick fire questions okay let's go good all right uh, so what's uh, your favorite food meat <laughs> okay um main interests main interests outside rugby shopping you okay uh, um, <laughs> who are who are your role models and why ooh it's norm sebenzi totob and mandisa williams i love them so much because they're still involved in women's rugby mm. and they want the best out of it yeah uh yeah shame i know norm sebenzi quite one she's very uh, lovely person but anyway let's move on uh, yeah <laughs> let's move on to the biggest biggest sporting achievement outside of rugby um uh, okay getting my degree mm. oh, no 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 okay uh, uh, let's pass i don't know okay um biggest I don't have, I don't think I have. biggest sporting achievement in rugby um uh, our i got an achiever of the year women's achiever of the year last yeah. year then the last question what makes you unstoppable um what makes me unstoppable because i work hard and i love rugby i put my heart into rugby and um um i bring the vibe i've got energy <laughs> i've got energy mm. and i never give up so i keep continue and um dream big and i believe yeah. in myself that i can do more Mm. And that's wonderful to hear. Um, so that uh, concludes uh, this segment of today's show, Aseza. Uh, thanks for, very much for joining uh, me on, on, on Madiba's Radio on the Benchwarmer, the 15th episode of the Benchwarmer. Um, good luck uh, with the next year's uh, Rugby World Cup and uh, keep, uh, keep uh, the wonderful um, work that you guys do on the rugby field as well. I believe you guys in Stellenbosch. Um, so good luck again. Oh, thank you so much, Brooks. Thank you for having me. Awesome. That was Springbok Women's players and seventh and eighth members of the Unstoppables initiative started by World Rugby, uh, Taylor Kinsey and Aceza Heela. 
Um, the Unstoppables is a second phase of Women World Rugby's Try and Stop Us Women's Rugby campaign, uh, which was launched in 2019 with the objective of lifting the profile of women's rugby and attracting new fans, players and investors to the game. So to, to conclude today's show, um, so obviously that concludes today's show, um, which is the 16th episode of The Bench Warmer on Madiba's Radio. Uh, we hope that you guys enjoyed today's show. So you can catch us next time, next week, on episode 17 uh, on Friday between 5 and 6 on Madiba's Radio. I'm your host, Gorgs, signing out. On the bus tryna meet ya Love ya, heart beating fast ya Mr. Lover, say you too busy Maybe exhaust her, stupid boy Cause I trust ya On the rush tryna meet ya Love ya, Uber too slow ya what a bummer, girls in the car, game too smoothie. Go on with your bad side.